everyone. Welcome to Unapola Tech, a podcast dedicated to giving women of color a voice and an opportunity to share their journey with the world. My name is Kalina Bryant, and I am the founder of Unapola Tech, and I will be your host for today. I'm excited to introduce to you our next guest speaker, Ambrielle Ponzi, who is the Global Director of People and Culture at Intertrust. Ambrielle will be sharing her journey on how she became a leader in technology, how she transitioned from an amazing career in fashion and later into the tech industry, focusing on people and culture in Silicon Valley. She will also discuss the importance of women helping women along the way and why this is so important. Without further ado, welcome Ambrielle. Hi, Kalina. It's a pleasure to join you today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm really excited to share my experiences and hopeful um, that it helps others with their journey. So thank you for having me. I'd love to kick off the first question with every woman has an origin story, especially a woman of color. How did your journey begin and why tech? Yes, we all do have an origin story. Kalina, fashion and technology are more aligned than people realize. Both industries require a fundamental understanding of the importance of innovation and design thinking to improve processes, and they are both driven by consumerism. They actually work in tandem with one another in many ways. My tech origin story started at a fashion trade event where I met a man that was working on an Ethereum blockchain technology project. He had met a fashion designer that was a client of mine, and she recommended that he speak with me about ways to make his content more digestible so that it appealed to a broader audience. I laughed actually at this guy when he approached me and explained to him that I was flattered, but I actually work in fashion and the the concept of supercomputers, nodes, and digital currency were definitely not ones that I could articulate to a level that would evoke action. I spent my days working in brand development to help designers choose new fabrications, Pantone colors, and seasonal motifs. I truly believe, though, in helping people to accomplish their dreams. So I invited him back the next day to tell me more about his story. He shared with me his vision for this ICO project. I was very intrigued, and many hours passed, and I instantly believed in his journey. And by the end of our conversation, I had agreed to join the board, create explainer videos, write all content, and pitch the ICO project to potential investors. It was a great learning curve, um, and I learned so much about new software development, smart contracts, secure transactions, and public key cryptography during this time, and decided to keep going in this direction. So that's my very unconventional tech origin story. With that, I want to talk to you a little bit about now you are the head or global director of people and culture, but I know a little bit about you, that you actually spent an extensive amount of time in fashion. Tell me a little bit about your your fashion career. What led you to that? Um, And then also just talk to me a little bit about taking the leap and actually starting a whole nother chapter in a whole different industry. Sure. So where I'll start is, you know, what brought me to Intertrust? You know, I was attracted basically to uh, the culture here at Intertrust. We have an organizational culture that is family oriented. Um, And it's very atypical of the experiences working in traditional hierarchical uh, corporate organization structures. So um, it made me say, wait a second, you know, I can work in tech and work in corporate America and not really have to pay this political game that you see at most organizations. Um, So being a part of a very flat organization and having access to the leadership team um, and having their input and feedback 
you know, really enables me to be able to use a lot of my skills that I learned while, you know, working in brand development in the fashion industry. Um, and I think that it, it gives gave me access to be able to drive innovation and change. And, you know, fashion for me was just natural. You know, it's always a part of something that I wanted to do. I grew up in a very vibrant and loving home with a huge focus on education and um, my father, he served our country as a member of the U.S. Air Force, and later in life, he would work in sociology and organizational behavior science, and uh, he would go on to work for the government and human resources development. He was an avid reader, a sports fanatic, a historian. I remember as a child watching Jeopardy with my dad every night and um, trying to beat him to the answers to the questions, and sometimes he would let me win, even though he knew the answers, so um, that was a lot of fun, and he was a human rights advocate and a very strong believer believer that women should have equal rights to those of men. And through watching my father move through his career journey, I learned very early to persevere through all social inequities in the workplace. Um, and that definitely was a privilege that I was given. And then on the other hand, my mother, she's a traditionalist, she's whimsical, she's a horticulturist, an interior design extraordinaire, and in general, just very artistically inclined. And um, she instilled in me a lot of good things as well through her intelligence and her ability to um, bring people together. And through this union, they both inspired me to be a good human, a free thinker, to be a creator, and to just be fearless, you know, fearless in the pursuit of my own passion and, and happiness. And so for me, I come out of this union, I'm both of them. I have both parts of that in me. And, you know, I view fashion and technology as being more aligned um, than many people believe. You know, they require you to be um, tenacious, to be adaptable, to have resourcefulness, um, and always to be impactful in that the post of lifestyle and imagery. And so they're both very related to one another. So my journey started off in luxury fashion as a retail boutique buyer. So I was really young at the time. And I mean, you're young and you're working in fashion and you're traveling the globe, working to um, buy clothing from designers um, for retail stores. It can be a very challenging space because you have to be able to quickly assess a lot of things while keeping in mind that your end goal is you're responsible for revenue, for uh, chains of stores. And if you make one mistake or a bad buy, then that store may go under. So, I mean, that level of responsibility teaches you that what you have to be is innovative, um, which again is related to what technology is. Um, and it also teaches you quickly um, that you have to be quick. You have to be a quick learner, you know. Um, what you have discovered along the path of this journey in fashion, or what I discovered, I should say, is that there was a huge lack of representation of women of color um, in both designers, in models, in buyers, in showroom owners, in brand developers. There were no women of color hardly um, sitting on those front rows at these fashion shows, and it was really saddened me a lot. Um, so I decided to launch my own bicoastal brand development showroom in, in L.A. and New York. And um, in both the buildings where my showroom was housed, I was the only African-American woman in those buildings. And that made me think, you know, this has to be terrible for someone coming out of college who's spent um, a considerate amount of their education um, thinking about what they were going to be able to accomplish. And then they get into these arenas and they think, okay, I made it. And then no one looks like them. 
Um, and for me, it was a little bit different. I was raised in Anchorage, Alaska. Nobody ever looked like me um, in the community I was raised in. So I, then we lived in Montana. Again, no one looked like me. But then I had these interns that were working for me and they had a different experience. They were from inner cities and they had been surrounded by their community. Now they're in fashion, they're trying to make it and they're going into these offices and no one in the buying department looks like them. No one in the editorial team looks like them. So, you know, for me, it set off a spark of inspiration for me to advocate for these women for me to advocate for all women designers and for me to help them secure buyers, to secure funding and kind of to establish their dream. I mean, this is what we're here for is to help one another. And it's so important as women that we uplift one another. Um, so, you know, when time per per permits, I still try to do a lot of the same work. I still try to help, you know, women designers and support them because I know how difficult it is. I still help um, young people and try to steer them towards a career in fashion and creative industries in general, um, if possible, and give them, you know, a little bit of a roadmap to make the, the path a little easier for them. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have worked in fashion and to help other people develop their dreams. I mean, that's amazing. Um, you know, is something you just don't hear about, you know, um, especially starting in, in school, you're just constantly thinking about how can you be successful? And when we think about success, we associate that with money, but not really a passion. Being able to really go into the fashion industry, be successful in that, and also still want to help and, and provide a way, I commend you on that. Do you feel as though the fashion industry and the tech industry are quite different or are they the same when it comes to the lack of diversity? I feel like, you know, unfortunately, they are very similar. It is unfortunate because what we would like to see is more diversity in both the fashion industry and the tech industry. And surprisingly, at the higher level of both industries, fashion and tech, there are not a lot of opportunities for women. And in general, across the board, I mean, when we get to the senior level, the senior street street level, we see a lack of diversity. We see a lack of women. Um, so our voices get lost a lot of times in that world. And I think that the major difference that we can talk about is that in tech, we do have a little bit more power to change this because there are more boards that are active. In fashion, fashion is a creative industry. So you don't see the traditional structure of corporate America where you have a board that is advocating for the organization all of the times. A lot of times in fashion, what you have is you have a more flat structure where there isn't a board all the time and there's very little funding and there's very little opportunity unless someone leaves or passes to be able to excel. In tech, what you see a lot of times is that the board is not as diverse as you would like it to be. And this is a tech problem and it has been for a very long time. And how do we change that? What are the opportunities here? We have a lot of opportunities currently to do so. I mean, I think we see the STEM programs happening and we see how by getting women involved to help mentor younger women at an early age about opportunities in STEM and not just traditional opportunities again, but opportunities to go into marketing, opportunities to go into human resources, 
resources, opportunities to go into sales and to go into brand development within tech, then you can see that you can get young women excited and you can get more of a diverse group of young women excited. But those opportunities have to happen early. They need to happen in elementary school. And I think historically, we've rated to middle school or high school to kind of talk about, you know, opportunities in tech. And by that time, we're already behind because we don't value um, teaching girls at an early age opportunities look like in tech. We value teaching that a lot of times, unfortunately, to boys. And so these boys are pushed into science, into math, into um, chemistry and into different things that help them excel while, you know, we start thinking of, of it as an afterthought for women. So I think starting earlier um, is the key here. I think also um, in terms of the fashion industry, it's the same thing. I think we have to start um, to kind of diversify at a younger age and say, you know, fashion is a possibility for you, even though you haven't seen anyone else do it. Here are some examples of people historically that have done it um, that are women of color. And I think that if we don't start showcasing that women of color have become successful as editors, as writers, as producers, as designers, um, then we're going to continue to see a deficit in the fashion industry and all creative industries. It's not just fashion. Um, we see this across the board in the creative side of things. And a lot of times it's because we don't value these skill sets within the community because we don't think that they are going to be any opportunities to be successful. And when we think about success, we think, okay, how are you going to make money because you like to draw? Because we don't think that being a fashion designer is something that is historically open for African-American women, for women of color in general. We don't think of that as a career. We think of a career because we've been somewhat miseducated to think of a career as something that is traditional and is non-creative. And that you go to work, you get a paycheck, and you work your way up. Maybe you start off out of college as an administrative assistant, but that's okay as long as it's at a good company. And then you can keep growing from that until you get to a level um, that you feel is a comfortable level for you. We don't really challenge our young people to think a lot of times within our communities about access to opportunities that are creative. Um, and therefore, you know, a lot of times they don't get to do these things. And then when we do challenge them, on the other end of that, they're met with so much adversity that they can become bewildered and lost. And I think that it's just a path that we're going to have to go through um, working together um, as women who believe in creative opportunities and women who believe in opportunities um, that drive innovation and we want to see young people in those realms at an earlier age, I think we have to work together to get them there. I don't think it's going to happen without everyone banding together and saying, hey, I'm a woman of color. I did it. You can do it too. Here's how you do it. So I think that's what we need to do. That brings me to my next question. You're in a a great role where you actually get to make the change and ensure that you guys are looking at the data points on making sure you have a certain amount of women and also making sure you have a certain amount of diversity. Um, talk to me a little bit about that in regards to the importance of change um, and driving it and how do you drive it in your sector? Kalina, this is a great question with a rather complicated answer. In my case, I'm very fortunate to be a part of a global diverse organization and to have a leadership team that sees diversity as an asset. And 
Not everyone is that fortunate. I personally am a big advocate of analyzing human capital data. You know, I believe that it's essential to maintaining a healthy and safe organizational culture. And without it, the organizational culture suffers tremendously. However, adjusting the data doesn't guarantee any sustainable change or enhancement of the culture. Significant cultural change to me always starts from the top. If you look at the current workforce climate across the globe, you have a surge happening right now as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement, where organizations in various sectors are working diligently to hire people of color and women. They are creating roles. They are advancing women and people of color into leadership positions at an unprecedented rate. These actions are well-deserving in many cases and well-overdue as women of color historically have been oppressed and denied the privilege of access to these opportunities. However, some of these organizations are trying to even the scoreboard and fix the data without doing any real hardcore work of change management. See, in my opinion, the real work is difficult. It's unconscious bias training. It's allyship training. It's sexual harassment prevention training. And it's the mental health awareness courses, along with ERGs and a plethora of other internal cultural enhancements. In order for us to maintain women and people of color in our underrepresented groups, I think that we need strategic retention and succession planning, along with the formation training. You know, again, in my opinion, change always starts from the very top of an organizational structure and it trickles down throughout the company. Um, it's easy for us to quickly add human capital and to get it cited and um, to try to fix the data. But it's very difficult to keep the data consistent throughout the year without a real cultural shift and some thought leadership behind the change management we're trying to initiate. And personally, throughout my career, be it in fashion or working with brands to expand their size range or to change those multicultural ad campaigns that lacked dark-skinned people and women with 4C-type hair, or in tech during discussions with leadership team members, I always sought opportunities to ensure that they understood the concerns and sentiment of the current team members before we added new ones. Otherwise, it's like putting a small band-aid on this big gaping wound and expecting it to stop the bleeding. I also think one-on-one -on -one discussions with the current team on how they feel around culture, transparent communication with leadership, training is essential, and also just taking the time to review the recruiting techniques. Um, sometimes I think this is overlooked and it's very fundamental to um, inclusion and to creating a sense of belonging. We have to look at where we choose to recruit from and how we choose to recruit and what type of interview questions we're asking. All these things are very important to actually have real change and to have something that's going to be consistent and something that can be maintained throughout the organization. Mainly, I also recommend always working with the leadership team to look for more opportunities to ensure a culture of inclusion. And this is a key to successful changes across many business sectors. Um, if we don't do these things, you know, we're going to be left with very few opportunities um, to have long-term success with any of these changes that we want to see happen to improve the livelihood of so many people. And with that, you know, how have you overcome some of the obstacles that you're seeing right now in tech? I think every obstacle we face, we have to turn that in, into an opportunity to learn. And I think that the better learners we become, um, the more equipped we become to overcome any challenges, right? So um, I think it's critical when working to advance culture that we think about 
are we giving everyone an opportunity to learn? Are we giving them an outlook that is realistic? With this mindset, it's given me the capability to really educate myself and others on my team about what people are really interested in. And, you know, I, again, I believe in the power of data and human exchanges combined. I don't think you can just use data. I think you also have to get on to one-on-one calls with people. You have to do check-ins. I mean, we're all working remote right now, and um, it's really difficult with a remote workforce to know how people feel because we're not in the same room with them a lot of times, and um, we're not looking at their facial expressions. So what we need to do is, you know, definitely take the time to do uh, video calls, to make sure we're having one-on-ones and to say, you know, what opportunities do you see for us to improve our um, organizational outlook and what challenges are you facing? So it's really about, for me, educating myself about what the organization needs and then using that um, information to empower myself to go out and make some necessary changes. And I, I definitely believe in seeking the assistance of platforms as necessary, you know, to obtain data and to look for those opportunities to improve the culture. But again, I think the most fundamental thing that I've done is really just taking the time to talk to people and have one-on-one conversations and say, you know, what's working for you, for you, what's working against you, and how can I help you get to the next level? How can I help you overcome these challenges? Spot on. Um, and that actually leads me to my next question. What continues to give you motivation to do this? You know, I think I'm motivated to help people always achieve their goals. Um, And I think that what we have to keep in mind when we help people a lot of times, what we're doing is we're helping them achieve their dream and whatever that dream may be. And it's different for everyone, right? And I'm also just a very driven person by nature. You know, I'm motivated anytime that I'm given the chance to help other people excel. Um, So for me, those are the key things. What else motivates me is the ability to see things to completion. I like to see things happen that end um, with the intended result. So I think that that's really something that's helped me and kept me motivated. With the motivation and being in technology, what brings you that joy every day? You know, I enjoy being a part of a team of people that show up and that are intelligent and that want to work and want to learn and want to grow. And and they really want to be there because their goal of being there is to enhance our society as a human being. You know, on any level, what that means to you can change um, as you grow because it means enhancing our society can mean different things to you at different points in your life, in your career. But however they want to do it, I want to be a part of that. And I think that that's really important. I think it's fundamental for us all to be here to help one another, especially right now. I mean, unfortunately, we reached about 200,000 death toll today from COVID-19. And we need each other now more than we have ever needed each other. So I think that helping one another is very important. And with that, what advice would you give to someone looking to also create change, specifically in tech right now? And how do you actually teach people to make space for the next generation? You know, it's a great question, Kalina. And I say it's a great question because I think we don't think about the next generation that often and how uh, we're influencing them and how what we do today impacts them. So in this order, I would say, you know, I think the most important thing for me, and I always give advice from that perspective, because um, what works for one person may not work for you. So you always want to take it with a grain of salt, but apply it Um, when necessary, if you feel like the things will help you. My advice is always to discover your why. 
Why are you here? Why are you doing this? Why do you want to work in tech? And then go from there to be intentional about that why. And you can write it down. You can do it in lots of different ways. You can journal it. Um, you can definitely whiteboard it, whatever works for you, but you want to be intentional and you want to set very clear goals once you discover your why. And you also want to think about um, the change that you're setting out to make in tech or in any sector that you go into. And then I always tell people, once you do those two things, you want to reuse your why to keep your team motivated because the goal is hopefully one day you may have a team that you're leading. And so you want to take your why and you want to reuse it and kind of go through this exercise with your team of helping them define their why and then using it to keep them motivated and helping them um, get to a moment of wow. Because I think we're all looking for the wow moment and it's different for each one of us and, and it's going to change as you progress through your career. Um, my last one always is you want to celebrate every single milestone along the way, no matter how small it is. Um, you especially obviously want to celebrate the big ones, but the small ones matter because the small ones are how you're going to get to victory. They're, they're the ones that are going to lead you to the big ones. I love that. That's beautiful. And you brought up some good things, especially I actually didn't know we hit 200,000 deaths uh, with COVID. Um, and that actually brings me to my next segment of just understanding being a leader right now in new times. We have, unfortunately, COVID that is still taking place. We also have unfortunate times when it comes to social injustice. Um, and when thinking about that in the lens of running people and culture, what are your thought process in number one, ensuring that we can make it through this, but then two, ensuring that the tech company is making a stance in a positive way and doing all they can for their employees. Sure. And again, it goes back to talking to people one-on-one -on -one because, you know, it's interesting. We have overlapping crises. We have the pandemic. We have a climate crisis. Um, you know, if we want to call it Black Lives Matter, if we want to call it a racial tension, racial war, we have that as a crisis. We have all these overlapping crises, and then we have social constructs that layer on top of them um, that are really creating a boiling pot moment in some ways for us as a society. Um, so what I've done and what I suggest that uh, people do who are on people operation teams is really look into speaking to people one-on-one, -on -one, getting an idea from them about how they feel every single day and trying to not um, pigeonhole them into, well, I know this is going on, but we just have to stay productive and stay working. Everyone can't. Some people are dealing with depression. Some people are dealing with um, really deep-rooted feelings of anxiety right now because of everything that's going on in the world, because of the multiple crises that I mentioned. And I think that it's really our job as people ops teams members to um, kind of be more insightful about how we address these issues and working with our managers, working with our leadership team members to kind of really set up um, more flexible work options for people and giving them the flexibility and the autonomy to kind of figure out their schedule and kind of 
work when they feel most productive and give them a little bit more time um, to recover from the headlines on the news channel. Give them a little bit more time to understand, um, you know, everything that they're hearing and everything that they're seeing happening all at once around them. And then going from that point um, to allowing them um, space, you know, space is so important to have mental wellness days, to take time away from their work and um, really reflect on what they want to do um, next in their personal life to feel like they can continue working. I mean, you know, you're going to have some people that are going to need to move to a new location because the current location isn't making them feel safe or for whatever reason. You're going to have some people that the engagement is going to lack because they can't stay engaged with the news headlines happening. So they might need to take a vacation. So I think it's just giving people the space to do whatever they need to do to stay motivated, to stay happy, to stay productive, while also understanding these things are going on in the world. Um, the only way for us to move forward as a team is for us not to hide our feelings, but for us to explore our feelings and for you to be um, very transparent about how you're feeling and how you're coping so that we can help you and so that we can be that support system that you are supposed to be if you're in people operations. One thing that I've just taken away from that is space, uh, making sure that you uh, make time for yourself, making sure that you make time uh, for your mental health, for your family, etc. I think that that's spot on. That brings me to another question with, with all that. When we think about women, especially women of color, how do you feel this will make an impact on them, especially thinking about the space spectrum? You know, women of color, um, you know, have so many opportunities currently in the scope of what's happening in the world to really band together, right? We have these amazing opportunities to uplift one another and to help one another achieve whatever their goal may be. And the way that we do it, and the way that I think it's most important that we do it, is that we don't alienate one another. Because historically, what we've seen happen is, you know, we have a few people that are able to excel as women of color in a sector. And because of that culture of that sector sometimes, we have a tendency not to really be ourselves. And so I think what we're going to see is that people are going to be themselves within the sector and they're not going to coat stretch as much. They're going to really be able to come in and say, this is who I am. And then these are my friends that also have these skills. And when you're interviewing them, they're going to be similar to me. So I hope that that's okay. And then we're going to see that we're going to have more people of color enter into spaces that they did not previously have an opportunity to enter because we're going to have more authenticity within those spaces. You know, I still have friends who are afraid to get braids, you know, because they thought if they got braids that it would be a bad thing for them at work, you know, and that's sad. You know, I have another friend recently who wanted to wear hair natural. Um, and she was really worried about not having silky hair at work. And this is 2020. You know, so I think that now that we're seeing images that are not showing us that people have to be the same and getting away from that sameness of saying that if you come work here, you need to look like everyone else that works here. So you blend in and that is code stretching. And hopefully, 
you know, we're going to continue to see more authenticity come out of this movement. The Black Lives Matter movement, I think that that's one of the most important aspects of it. I think it's allowing us to use our authentic voice. I think it's allowing us to show up authentically into our space. And I think that it's also opening um, a door where people are saying, you know, I deserve to be here. And if you don't like me, maybe I don't need to be in this space, but I'm going to go into a better space where I'm accepted. And when I get into that better space, I'm going to go in as myself. And if you don't like it, then I'm going to find another space. And But what we're hoping to do is see that that authenticity changes the internal working of sectors. We're hoping that the fashion sector changes because we they see more authentic bodies that are shaped differently from the bodies that they're used to seeing that they're more accepting of all skin tones, that they're more accepting of all hair types and textures, that a model doesn't show up on set, right? And someone says, I can't do your hair. And then we're hoping that if a girl walks in to the boardroom meeting in a tech company, that someone doesn't say, well, you know, maybe we should pick someone else to do the presentation today because she has an afro. So what we're hoping is that we see this authenticity lead to a space for Black women where it's safe, where it's inclusive, where it really drives home a sense of belonging. And as we go and enter these spaces, we have to bring other people in with us. And we have to do so quickly so that, you know, it's not just uh, something where we get the opportunity, but we are still the only ones in those boardrooms. We want to bring other people into that space so that they also get to share in this moment. Um, and so that their voice is also going to have a diverse um uh, persona to it. Because I think sometimes we think about diversity and we forget to remind our counterparts that diversity is amongst the culture. <laughs> it's not like we hire these people, we hire these three Black women, we brought them in and they're all going to be the same. They're diverse. They have diverse experiences. They have diverse voices. They have diverse backgrounds. They are part of the diversity. So we want to be very conscious of how we use diversity and how we define it within any space. And I think that that's really an important aspect of this whole movement. Just thinking about all of that, you know, we're coming to an end, but I think that you touched on so many different things, all the way from the lack of diversity in fashion, but how things are slowly changing and how we have to keep pushing and also looking in, in tech and, and really understanding um, how to advertise that if you don't want to be the engineer, that you can still be in technology um, and understanding that from a diverse perspective, uh, but just giving people an opportunity early um, to learn. And so that leads me to, you know, what are the tips that you'd like to give to the world um, and for the next generation on how to succeed and how to just take the risk um, when thinking about entering into technology? Yes. Um, I always have the same advice, you know, for everyone. And I think it's listening to your own authentic voice, right? And But being inspired by others. Sometimes we listen to others <laughs> and we don't listen to our own voice. And it's very important that we listen to our voice first and we're inspired by others. Um, I don't really like saying influenced by others because that, that's dangerous as well. But being inspired, um, and I think if you care enough, wherever space you enter, you can always drive change. Um, but, you know, for that change to be impactful, it always has to come from your own authentic voice. 
And you always must be intentional with the change that you're trying to create within the space. And you also need to have a clear understanding of the space that you're entering um, and the organizational structure before you try to implement change. Um, next, I think that, you know, problems are always opportunities. Any challenge that you face is another opportunity for you to discover a solution and use that solution to educate others within and outside of your sphere of influence. So you always want to look for ways to create solutions. Um, and once you create a solution, you want to use it as an educational tool. And I think that lastly is taking it one day at a time. You know, you just cannot do every day, everything that you want to do um, cannot be done in a day, can't be done in a month. It can't even be done in a year. So you want to really be good at road mapping out your plan and then understanding that whatever that plan is, it's going to take some time for it to be implemented and that it's going to also take some buy-in from the people around you that can influence that plan. So it's going to be a very long um, road to your um, journey, but you have to just go ahead and stay the course and um, do everything that you can to always go back to your plan. And, and as I said before, think about your why. Why did I start? If you always think about your why, then you will be able to continue. With that being said, just thinking about other tips, not just for women of color, but now thinking about our allies. Uh, we have a lot out there. And I think we we've um, you know don't shed enough light on the importance of allyship. What's some advice that you would like to give to current allies and future allies on how to remain uh, genuine and authentic in being an ally? Sure. You know, I think allies are great. And, you know, I've been very fortunate throughout my career to have some amazing allies. Um, and the reason being is because they've been really good at doing some of my top tips, which is one, you know, they hold themselves accountable um, and they seek out opportunities to create space for equity. Um, so when I say that, I mean, if you know that something is wrong and you can create a space for equity and you're a true ally, you'll do it. You'll speak up, you'll use your voice um, within that space to make sure that that person is heard. Um, some of the things when people are, you know, oftentimes women are spoke over or oftentimes women are not given an opportunity to speak. And I've had allies say, Ambriel just said that, or Ambriel um, would like to speak. And I really appreciated that. So that's some, that's one opportunity, but there's a lot of opportunities to create space for equity. One of the things for future allies is to seek to mentor people outside of the sphere of influence. I think we oftentimes seek to mentor people that remind us of the people that we were at 19 or 20, and that's great. However, we also want to be aware of the people that don't look like us and the people that don't have the same background as us or access to the same opportunities that we've been afforded in life. So it's how we use our privilege to create space for other generations to come into um, a sector. And especially in tech, I think this is important. And um, I think reaching out to even the HBCUs and doing various things to help impact um, the community is very important as an ally. But if you just look at your college that you attended, sometimes you might miss those opportunities. So you definitely want to look outside of yourself and outside of your sphere of influence. I think the next one is don't be afraid to share the knowledge that you obtained on your journey. 
uh, with other people. I mean, a good ally will tell you what they've learned and what has worked for them. And then they'll try to teach you how to use that to your advantage um, within that sector. Um, and I think this is especially important in tech because a lot of times, you know, we think of tech again as being one dimensional, but it's multidimensional. It's so many different ways that tech um, has evolved um, within different um, sectors and understanding that fintech is different from martech and you know understanding that if I was working in fintech and now I'm in martech that this may not work what I was doing in fintech so I need a new roadmap and having an ally in that new company to help you is very important I think lastly is speaking up against inequalities and injustices in and outside of the workplace sometimes we only want to talk about the inequalities that we see in that moment within our workplace. But even when they're happening outside of the workplace, if you speak up against those inequalities, you can also know that it makes you a stronger advocate for them when they happen within the workplace. Because if I see something in my community and I speak up against it because I know that that person's house is being looked at differently because they're a different color than me, or I know that they're being treated differently as a woman on the block at the, at the community meeting, if I speak up in those moments, then it's going to make me have an easier time speaking up when I'm in the workplace against those same similar types of inequalities. And just to conclude, my fun question for you, what's next for you? We have a few more months and it's, you know, 2021. Yeah, no, time is going by fast and we've spent most of 2020 in the house. <laughs> that is that is okay, you know. You know, I'm a forward-thinking individual, but I always stay focused on the present and I have a lot of opportunities in front of me and I know that my life work, however, will always be about advancing all people and influencing culture. Those are the things that I enjoy doing. Those are the things that make me happy. They also keep me up at night. Um, so I know that no matter where I am, I'm going to always do that. I'm very fortunate in the space that I'm currently in um, to be able to be at Intertrust and to be given the team that is with me at Intertrust every day and helping me create and cultivate culture that is fun, that's vibrant, and that is inclusive. And so I'm really thankful for this experience. I'm hopeful that this continues to be a space that everyone enjoys. I look forward to continuing on this path and seeing what's next for me. One more question, actually. I think this one is really good. What are you most excited about among current events when thinking about culture? You know, I find a lot of the current initiatives that I'm working on exciting um, as they are just ones that create more growth opportunities and enhance um, a thriving organizational culture at Intertrust. You know, like I said, I'm, you know, very glad to be in this space at this moment in time. And I feel that my seat at the table is going to directly and indirectly open doors for more people like me. And that, for me, um, is fundamentally one of the most important aspects of being in any role is knowing that whatever I'm doing is making enough of a change within an organization to offer other people the same opportunity or even a better opportunity. Um, so I, I challenge everyone listening, you know, to use their privilege uh, to demand a paradigm shift that leads to an inclusive new normal. I think that this is really important that we focus on how are we using our privilege to change our world, our world. When I say that, I mean the world around us. And then how do we use that privilege to influence and impact others? 
Um, and one of my favorite quotes is by Marion White Elderman, and it's, you can't be what you can't see. And I think that that is very true today, and I think it's going to be true for the next generation as well. Thank you for your time today, Ombrio. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. For those of you listening, you can get in touch with Ombrio on the Onapolitech Slack channel. And if you're interested in hearing more stories like this, please be sure to subscribe to Onapolitech today. Thank you. Thank you, Kalina. <laughs>